it was, uh, well, I was 15 years old. And I remember that specifically because I wasn't yet driving. My uh, dad was driving us that evening. I had uh, just finished ball practice, and he had come to the school and picked myself up and a friend of mine. And we were coming home, and we got to a place that we called Dead Man's Curve. That's the name we always gave it. It was a really sharp curve coming down a mountain that leads into uh, Chester, where I grew up. And that night, when we got to that curve, there had been an accident. It had just occurred. Uh, nobody else was there yet. And what we saw was, well, very graphic. Um, I won't go into the details. I'll spare you that. But I'm telling you, I remember it as though it were yesterday. You see, there are things that happen to us that are traumatic experiences that we witness. Happens, you don't soon forget. That memory is with you for a lifetime. And when we're talking about traumatic things, I, I can't help but take my mind back to the cross because I don't know of anything more traumatic than that. Not only was it a death, it was a horrific death, and not only was it a horrific death, but it was the death of an innocent, one who had never done anything wrong. It was such an injustice. And for those of us who have stood at the foot of the cross and witnessed what took place, it ought to never leave our mind. It ought to be burned in our mind and an image and an impression made that will never, we'll never be able to shake. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about our view from the foot of the cross. There are certain perspectives in life that help us to see things clearly. And from the foot of the cross, you can see some things maybe more clearly than the easy chair of your living room or from your workplace or you list a number of other things. Sometimes we let other things clutter and get in the way of our view of the cross. But at the foot of the cross, there are things we cannot miss. And I want to share just four things with you tonight that we can see from the foot of the cross. And the first thing that we can see from the foot of the cross is the enormity of sin. I don't, and we're, just this morning we began a, a quarterly study on um, respectable sins. We're going to look at some sins that people just kind of have brushed aside. They, they just take for granted. It's not really that bad. I mean, everybody does it. After all, we're human. Uh, you hear all these kind of expressions that just minimize and and just lessen the impact of sin, and maybe even deny that the events are sinful in the first place. I don't want us to miss the enormity of sin, and you can't from the cross, not from the foot of the cross. To see a man put to death in the form and the fashion that Jesus was put to death burns an image. The Bible tells us, well, turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. Go back there and uh, read with me verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus, what that says is Jesus died for me. He died because of me. Oh, man has looked at the cross, and and during the days of Jesus, they saw Jesus hanging on the cross, and they saw a man that they concluded was smitten by God, that he was afflicted because he was some evildoer. After all, who hangs on a cross? But the true explanation is that Jesus died for me. He took my transgressions. He was wounded for my sins. And uh, so therefore, it tells me God sent his son from heaven to die this horrific death because of me. Sin is no little thing. It's not something you can just sweep under the... Listen, have you ever had somebody come over to your house and you weren't expecting them and so you see them pull up in your driveway and you go, oh no, so-and-so's here. And then you start throwing things, you know, just whatever's out of sight. You know, if you got a closet handy, you just pile it in the closet and hope they don't open that door. You know, you, you, you just want it out of the way. You, you can't treat sin that way. It, God couldn't just say, well, I wanted you to be holy, but you sinned, so I'm just going to sweep this under the carpet. I'm going to push it aside. No big deal. It's not going to be noticeable. It is noticeable, so much so that God sent his son. Jesus had to die. The cross is not just an expression of God's love for us. It was necessary for our redemption. It wasn't just a show to say, hey, this is how much I love you. It was necessary in order for us to have the forgiveness because God is a holy and just God. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 through 2 tells us that the separation that we have between us and God, it's not because God's hand's too short. It's not because he's hard of hearing, he can't hear our prayers. It's because sin has separated us. Sin is serious in the eyes of God. And I see that at the foot of the cross. When I see Jesus hanging on the cross, how else, what other conclusion can I make than to say, God takes sin seriously? that he would let his son go through this for me. And I'll tell you, sin is really a selfish declaration of our independence of God. That's, that's what sin is. God says this, we say, nope, going to do something different. Um, there are a lot of reasons why we think that way. But have, have you ever seen, how old is it when children start pulling away from you? You know, you, you want to take their hand when you get to the curb. And, and when they get a certain age, they, they don't want to hold your hand anymore. And they start doing this number to you. They, they don't want you to hold. They, they want to be independent. They want to take care of themselves. That's what sin is. It's that independent, I don't need you. I do what I want to do. I can take care of myself. And, and we go our own way. And it costs us. It costs God. So from the foot of the cross, I see the enormity of sin. It can't be brushed aside. It can't just be smoothed over. It took the death of his son to bring about our redemption. From the foot of the cross, I also see the shame of fallen man. I'm, I'm telling you, it, it is a travesty. It is embarrassing. It, it's shameful, incomprehensible to think 
that God would leave heaven and take on flesh and dwell among us, and how do we treat our Creator? We nail Him to a tree. We nail Him to the cross. It's obscene. The things that were done to Jesus are obscene. If you saw it today, if, if they took some person that was totally innocent, Wild West had the lynchings. You know, we don't need a trial, we'll just put this guy up and hang him from a tree. If somebody did the cross today to somebody without them having a trial, without them having any kind of say, all kind of illegalities involved in it, we would say it's a travesty. It's obscene. We would be sickened by the scene. That's what happened to Jesus. And that shows us the shame of fallen man. Man can do horrible things to his fellow man. We have, we have gone far from what God intended when he placed man on the earth to think of the things that have done the injustices, the inhumanity to humanity at our own hands. It's shameful. And to think that a sinless son of God was hung on a cross and treated like a criminal, his rights were totally overturned and ignored. Shameful. In Acts chapter 2, Peter talks about, beginning well in verse 22, how the, the, they had crucified the son of God. He said, and it was manifest that he was the son of God. You couldn't deny it. He had done miracles. He had shown us who he was. There's no excuse for this. It's not like we didn't know. He did it, and He did it in your presence as you yourselves know. You saw it, and you still did it to Him. It's shameful. It's that mob mentality that sometimes rules over our better judgment. But the cross of Christ shows us just how degenerate man has come. God placed man in the Garden of Eden in a paradise to enjoy fellowship with Him and to express love back and forth between Creator and created being. And we have gone from that to this. It's shameful. The third thing that I see from the foot of the cross is, of course, the love of God. You, you can't miss it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's why Jesus came to die. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, we we're told that um, Jesus became sin or the sin offering for us that we might uh, attain to the righteousness of God. Without his death, we would be lost, and God loved us enough to say, are you willing to do that? Will you leave heaven, take on flesh, live a perfect life? Endure the trials that come with being human and a servant. Will you do that? And Jesus said, yes, I will. And he did. That's how much God loves us. We're his creation. We're his children. We're not his servants, though he could have chosen that relationship to sustain to us. We're not just his creation. We are his children. John says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. It just boggled his mind that God would allow him and those of us who are children of God to be able to address him as Father and not just Supreme Creator. 
God loves us. We, we sing a song sometimes that says and asks the question, why did my Savior come to earth? And of course, the answer that is given is because he loved us so. And the, the verses continue with the questions, why, why? And the answer is always because he loved us. The cross of Christ, at least from the foot of the cross, we can't miss the love of God. What would you do for your children? Would you lay down your life for your children if you were called upon to do so? Now, people wouldn't necessarily just choose to lay down their life for any reason. But for your children, would you lay down your life? Probably we wouldn't have to think twice about that. We would without blinking an eye. That's how much God loves. If you can understand the love that you have for your children, then you can understand the love that God has for us because that's what he did. He allowed his son to die on the cross for us. And then I want to bring out one more point. From the foot of the cross, we see our own helplessness. In Matthew chapter 18, there's the parable, well, Peter says, Lord, how many times should I forgive a man? Seven? I think he was probably thinking that was magnanimous, and he was trying to think, you know, I'm really seven. Uh, there was some rabbinical teaching that uh, three was the most, four, you're out of luck from the book of Amos, they, inclinations along that line, but Peter says seven times? How about that? And so the Lord takes just a minute to tell a parable, which he was prone to do. And he said, you know, there was a man, and he owed another man 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know if that's talents of gold or talents of silver. Uh, your Bibles may have a little indication, maybe a number in our currency to help you to understand what Jesus is saying to those people. Keep in mind that maybe the average wage of that day was about 17 cents a day. And Jesus says, this man owes 10,000 talents. And if a talent of gold, that would have been, if we're talking about a talent of gold, that would have been somewhere roughly around $10 million. A man owes $10 million and he makes an average of 17 cents a day. He owes that much. And the man says, I want payment. I want what's due me. Give me my money. And I think it's interesting that the man says, be patient with me, give me time and I'll pay you all. Just be patient, let me, let me pay you back. When I listen, he can live a thousand lifetimes and spend every penny toward that debt and he will never pay off that debt. He has incurred such a great debt, it's ridiculous. In the mind of those people listening to Jesus tell that, it's ridiculous. It's like saying today, you owe me $10 billion. Let me have it. How are you ever going to come up with $10 billion? Can you imagine saying, well, let, give me time. It's time's not going to help. I'll never see that much money in a thousand lifetimes. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to those people, his disciples. You will never be able to pay off the debt that you incurred. You are helpless in regard to your salvation. If it weren't for the move of God on your behalf, there's nothing that could get you out of the trouble that you have created for yourself.
Jesus wants us to understand, and from the foot of the cross, I see it. If there was any way that I could pay for my own sin, then I'm sure God would have said what it was. If it came down to me sacrificing one of my children, or you making some kind of payment plan, guess what I'd choose? If there was a payment plan available, we'd be going that route. I wouldn't be putting my son on the cross. The cross of Christ tells me how necessary it was for Jesus to die and how indebted and helpless I am without that move on God's part. Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. If you have your Bible there, while you're turning there, let me just remind you of what Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says. Isaiah said that our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. Think about, you know, meditate on that. The very best you can be. I mean, the moments when you go home and you feel good about yourself because you did this, you helped somebody, you did this, you said something, you brought somebody to Christ. You did. When you feel the very best about who you are, God looks at your life and says, like filthy rags. You, that, that earns you nothing. Listen, have you ever gone out in the garage and cleaned up a little bit and there's some rag tucked away in the corner and it has cobwebs and you're not sure if you're going to put your hand into spiders or whatever and you go down there and you pick it up by the corner and you go, oh, and you probably just throw it away. Take it to the trash can, throw it away because it's, it's filthy. That's our best Without Jesus, it means nothing. It is to be discarded. But here's what Romans 10 and verse 3 says. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. He's talking about the Jews, his brethren. And here's what he says. that They want to be righteous, they want to serve God. They want to go to heaven. And so they seek out their own righteousness. They, how can I be righteous? Well, if I do this, and if I practice circumcision, and if I hold these feast days, and if I... They, they had a list of things that they felt like if I do all these things, then I can be righteous before God. And Paul says, no, you're missing it. That's not God's righteousness. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And though they were established or trying to establish righteousness, it was, it was useless. They were helpless. You can't do it yourself. It has to come through God's plan of righteousness through His Son, Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ reminds me that I am totally helpless. If it were not for Jesus I would have no hope. So as we look at these four points tonight, I hope that you'll spend time this week giving some thought to them. Because I think we sometimes need to be taken back to the cross. We need to turn off the television and quit being so busy in our life and forget about work and even forget about our family for a little bit and go back to the foot of the cross and remember what took place there. And we need to see as God sees. The images, the truths that we will see at the foot of the cross 
will burn with you, a burn etch, a memory that will never leave you, and I hope it doesn't, because it's that memory of what happened because of me, what God did for me, that helps me to understand my indebtedness to God. I need to live, you need to live, we need to live with a sense of indebtedness. How can I say no to God? How can I do this when he says this in light of what he's done for me? I owe everything to God because of the cross. And so as we look at the cross or see life from the foot of the cross tonight, what I want you to ask yourself is, how does it affect you? How does it impact you? We've gone to the cross tonight and looked at a few things. Does it make you want to follow him? When you see the horrific thing that had taken place all because of you and your sin, your poor choices, are you feeling that sense of indebtedness? I hope so. Because it'll help you to live a good life. It'll motivate you to do what's right. It'll help you to say no to yourself and deny yourself. After all, when God denied himself so much, how can I not deny myself? If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, obey the gospel. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that tonight. Give your life to him. In view of the cross, how can you say no to Jesus' request? In view of the cross, how can you stay in sin? How can you harbor sin? Even if you are a child of God, you've been baptized, but there are things in your life. How can you remain in that at the foot of the cross, viewing what took place for you? If you need to respond to the invitation, we'll be at the front to assist you in whatever way we can if you'll come as we stand together and sing.